Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Amen. That was good enough. I almost don't need to preach, but I'm going to put all the work in. I might as well. Uh, A few weeks ago, three weeks ago actually, my youngest boy, Josiah, celebrated his first birthday. And because of that, my, some of my family came into town, so my grandmother and my mother were here for Josiah's first birthday. My grandmother is 80 years old. Her babysitter was Chico. Yeah, I know he's not here to hear that, but she's 80 years old. She was born in 1939. Uh, so I had my grandmother, who is actually the great-grandmother of my kids, plus my mom, We're sitting right back where Ross is, in the back row. So my grandmother, my mother, my wife, and Kendra was holding Josiah. So in that row, four generations of my family was sitting in that row. And I took a second, because I was behind them, I just took a second to take that in. I almost took a picture, and then I was like, you don't need to have your phone out for everything. But... Four generations worshiping Jesus together in our church. Every time my family visits, I kind of get choked up over that. And it's encouraging. (coughs) Now, I want you to know that four generations of my family worshiping together did not happen in a nice, neat, straight line. For my grandmother, if my grandmother's 80 years old, as far as I know, she's, she's one of those people that's been following Jesus since she was a kid. And if my son Josiah, who's only a year old, if he lives to the normal life expectancy for a male, for a man, he'll grow to be about 72, that means over 150 years of following Jesus in my family. And I'm looking forward to that. That obviously assumes that my kids live long lives, that they follow Jesus. But that was not a nice, neat straight line the way that worked because 25 years ago there was only one person in my house in my family following Jesus and it was my grandmother Uh, 25 years ago I was not a believer my kids obviously weren't born and my mother was an atheist my mom and I got saved about the same time I I like to think I got saved first just like so I can treat her like she's my little sister in the Lord but she uh, would not put up with that so (coughs) we got saved around the same time it was very well the same month but I mean it was really close and I don't know who was first but 25 years it took 25 years ago it took alcoholism infidelity divorce and a variety of other crises to bring two generations to faith And then a long time, then our kids were born, and then like meticulous, regular scripture instruction, involvement in church, that kind of thing. It it was not a nice, neat, straight line where everything was, you know, Mayberry, uh, what's that, Andy Griffith, like nice and smooth. our, Our lives were totally disrupted, and in the middle of that disruption, we found Jesus. And so that's how that happened. 
It wasn't because one generation taught the next, who taught the next, who taught the next. That is not the way it worked for us. It was crisis and explosion and desperation. And so <coughs> that gives me actually a lot of faith for every family. That you could get, I, I actually have a friend who's also a pastor in New York who his whole family, grandparents, parents, him, niece, uh, cousins, all got saved at the same church service. They walked in, no one was saved. They walked out three generations walking with the Lord together. So this happens more than one way. Does that make sense? So uh, this morning I want to talk to you about <coughs> the relationship between children and parents in Ephesians 6. One of the reasons that we got to get a grasp of this relationship between children and parents is because you know our, our church vision statement is to make disciples that sustain revival. And we usually talk about that in the sense of like individual maintaining your personal individual walk with the Lord. How do you make sure that it's fresh and we have these strategies, be filled with the Holy Spirit, value the manifest presence of God, pursue emotional health, grow in spiritual formation, and the fifth and final strategy is live in community. <coughs> Each one of those strategies could be expanded upon. We could have a whole sermon series on each one. But let me just quickly highlight the live-in community strategy. If I were to unpack live-in community, one of the things I would say is our church is a family, right? Our church is not just a family. It is a diverse family, right? Fifteen nations represented in our church every Sunday. Not only is it a diverse family, it is an intergenerational family. Part of living in community, particularly for us here, is to live with people who are of different ethnicities as well as different ages than you. And we are an intergenerational congregation. I, and I'm thrilled by that. I love that we have little babies in the nursery and Chico... You know, and everything in between. I think that that's great. And, and I also love that in recent years, <coughs> we've been able to build up and structure our ministry so that there, hypothetically, is a seamless flow where we have a solid children's church that is discipling our kids. And last week, did you know, we had over 50 children in children's church between the two services. Yeah, that... That is bigger than almost every other church in Wissanomi. More Over 50 kids just in children's church. And when they graduate children's church, do you know who we hand them off to? Pastor John Eric, who whips them into shape because he doesn't take anything. He, he. So we, did you know we have, every Monday night, about 20 teenagers that meet with not only John Eric, Margaret's usually there, and Kervin, and Naziha, and Ross. Am I forgetting any other volunteers? There's some, uh, Crystal, uh, there's some other volunteers that are there. So that's 20 teenagers. And then, when you're done with that, Andrew and Kara have done a great job in the last year and a half with some of our other young adults <coughs> putting together this young adult ministry for college age and post-college age young adults. When you get to be about 30, you're mine. And it's all downhill from there. It's just a lot of sarcasm and, you know, stuff. So, but listen, we, we have 
done our best to try to create this seamless flow where we can be an intergenerational church that disciples people based on the season of life that they're in, but also (coughs) does not isolate people where the kids never interact with the adults and the teens never interact with the young adults. We, we mingle also. It's, it's a little bit of a balance. Like we have to have all of the age groups incorporated and integrated together as well. So part of sustaining revival is understanding that there is a chronology to it. And in order for us to sustain revival, we need to <coughs> understand intergenerational ministry at a very small cellular level, which is our homes. It's, it's our parents and our kids and how they relate to one another and how things happen between mom and dad and the kids. That's, your family is an intergenerational family. And I'll get into this in a little bit. Those of you that don't have kids, we're still someone else's kid. And I'm going to unpack this in a moment. But this passage here today is going to talk about parents and how to parent and children and their responsibility uh in so let's just read this here this is ephesians 6 1 through 4 it's a pretty short passage so we're actually going to read this as well as colossians 3 because it's also short and it's written by the same person the apostle paul they say essentially the same thing so we're just going to look at them next to each other so ephesians 6 1 through 4 says this children obey your parents and the lord for this is right Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And here's a shorter summary of that from Colossians 3, also written by the Apostle Paul. Same author, he says essentially the same thing, just a little briefer. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, (coughs) do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So in a little bit, I'm going to explain exasperate. And we're we're actually going to use Colossians 3, but we are in Ephesians 6, so I want to focus on that. So really quickly, this is not parenting advice, okay? I feel like somehow sermons generally are drifting toward like self-help messages. This is not a self-help message. This is a biblical exposition of what spirit-filled parenting looks like. Because if you just back up a few verses to Ephesians 5.18, there's a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us, Paul tells us, what a husband filled with the Holy Spirit looks like, what a wife filled with the Holy Spirit looks like, what a child fills with the Holy Spirit look like, looks like, and what parents filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. So this is not like five steps to becoming a better parent. This is, here's what the Bible says a spirit-filled person in this role should behave like or what the evidence of their uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit would be. So Paul addresses first children, then he addresses the parents. To the children, Paul says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul is saying to the children, understanding that when this was read in the first century to the church, there were probably kids in the room. They had not figured out children's church yet, that, you know, dismissed them after worship. They hadn't got to that yet. 
So they're all meeting probably in a house, all ages, mixed. So the kids, who knows if they're even listening, but they would hear children obey your parents and they perk up because, oh, this apostle has directed something toward us. They're talking to us. And <coughs> Paul says to them, obey your parents as in the Lord, or uh, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So what Paul's saying to the kids is, one of the ways you obey God is by obeying your parents. Does that make sense? That it's actually a sign of devotion to Jesus, obedience to Jesus, recognizing Jesus' lordship in your life when you children obey your parents. Now, there's no, ki no young kids here to really question this. Oh, maybe Columbo's going to get me on this. Okay. There's, there's no real young kids to ask me this, but, you know, inevitably, this happens all the time. Last week I talked about marriage. I thought I laid it out pretty clear. And still it was like, yeah, but what if this? I'm like, oh, stop with the what ifs. Stop looking for reasons to not obey, you know? But inevitably, there's going to be kids that say, well, what if my parents do this? Okay, so let me humor you. Yes, if your dad tries to convince you to perform a bank heist, you don't have to listen, okay? If your dad needs you to help get rid of a body, you don't have to listen. You know, you obviously, following Jesus is a higher priority, but since most of your dads aren't doing that and they're just telling you to eat your vegetables and do your homework and stop yelling at your siblings, right? Listen to them. You hearing this, Jason? Your mom asked me to talk, talk about this, okay? <laughs> all right. I'm going to put the kids on blast today, all right? All right. So it's a, <coughs> it's a demonstration of obedience to God when children obey their parents. It's actually tied to the fifth commandment. This uh, portion that's in all capital letters is a quote of the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, which in parentheses it says, which is the first commandment with a promise. And what is the promise? So that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. When God gave the fifth commandment through Moses, it actually said, honor your father and mother <coughs> so that you'll live a long life. Now, listen, that is a general principle, not a guarantee of a hundred-year-long life. What that means is, hey, if you listen to your parents, if you heed their wisdom, chances are you're not going to get into the kind of trouble that might prematurely end your life. Does that make sense? Now, listen, there are exceptions, that's why the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. The book of Ecclesiastes essentially says, hey, time and chance happen to everyone. And just because someone dies young doesn't necessarily mean they violated the fifth commandment. But the general principle is, if you heed your parents' wisdom, it's going to keep you from the kind of decisions that might end your life early. Does that make sense? Okay, so... It can lead to a long life. There are exceptions, but this is the general principle, <coughs> and it holds true. Now, to those of you that are adults, you might be loving this like children obey your parents part. And when Paul's talking about children here, he is talking about an age range. Okay, understand that. This word, the word he chose to use 
is directed toward the little ones. But it is not limited to that. Children is not just an age range, it's a relationship. I'm a child of my parents. You know, I'm not a little boy. I was never really little. But I'm not a little boy, but I'm still a child of my parents, right? And unless you were hatched from an egg or dropped off from a spaceship, you're a child too. Your parents may be still alive, your parents may not be still alive, but you're still a child. So this is a question I want to address. How do adult children honor and obey <coughs> their parents? Because the fifth commandment applies to me. I'm 38 years old, i got three kids of myself. I still have to honor my parents, right? My parents are still alive, I still have to honor them. How do we as adult children honor our parents? Well, one of the main ways you can do that is by maintaining the relationship. I know that sometimes relationships between parents and adult children get strained and there's conflict and sometimes you can go months or years without talking to your parents. I understand that that's a situation in some people's lives. I want to encourage you as followers of Jesus, if in fact you are followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you, you've been empowered to be ministers of reconciliation, that you have a responsibility, and Cindy used the word obligation earlier, an obligation to be the one who is making, uh, taking the initiative and making gestures toward reconciling if there is a break between you and your parent. I understand you can't control everything. You might try to reach out and they reject that and I understand that. I'm just saying you better not be the one that's poisoning the relationship. Does that make sense? You should be, if you're following Jesus, if you're a minister of reconciliation, if you have the Holy Spirit, you ought to be the one trying to work things out. And I know it's not always going to work. I get that because it is a two uh, there are two parties involved that have to reconcile, but you should be making an effort and leading the way and taking the initiative. <coughs> Another way that adult children can honor and obey their parents is by forgiving them. If you are like me, there's nothing like being a parent to help me forgive my parents because I think now, boy, my parents were the age I am now when I was going through junior high. And I cannot imagine having a junior higher. And I think if they only like if they only had the same stuff that I have, then I don't know how they did it. I mean, they didn't have like a magic book or VHS series on how to do this. Like I it's way harder than I anticipated being a parent. And so it helps me a little bit to forgive them. Now, I also know that there are things sometimes that parents do that go beyond nobody's perfect, that there are actual violations of trust that parents commit on their kids. And, you know, nobody's perfect covers a lot, but it doesn't cover everything. There are certain things, it's like you don't have to be perfect to know not to touch your children in a certain way, right? But nonetheless, Forgiveness is still the command of Jesus in those situations. To release them so that you can walk in freedom and so that you can begin to apply the gospel of Jesus to your lives and to your relationships. Final thing we can do to, as adult children to honor and obey our parents is to include them. 
If your kids have a birthday party, invite your parents. Call them. Have them over for Christmas. I mean, do what you can. You might be separated by hundreds or thousands of miles. There might be extenuating circumstances. I get that. What a, you know, we don't have any family within 400 miles. My closest family member takes seven hours about driving to get there. I realize some of you have much farther family than that. So one of the things we have to do is send them pictures of the kids. Get, make phone calls on birthdays. Just incorporate them, include them in the lives of our kids and in our own lives. That's one of the ways that we are able to honor our parents as adult children. So that's the command to the children, obey your parents, and also tied to the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Verse 4 is directed toward a different audience. Fathers, <coughs> do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I, I want to start off focusing on fathers because Paul chose fathers for a, for a reason, I think. I am going to eventually broaden this out to just fathers and mothers and parents, but I think Paul was intentional because in this culture at this time, Greek dads were pretty rough. And if you think your dad was rough, listen to this. When a little Greek baby was born, they would set the baby on a table in front of the father. If the father wanted the baby, he would pick the baby up and hold the baby. But if the father didn't want the baby, he would just turn his back and walk away. Then, if he did that, the baby was essentially thrown into a pile of trash. And even uh, to the point where if no one... So here's what would happen if a baby was thrown into a trash heap. Someone may come along and take the baby and raise it to be a slave or a prostitute. If that didn't happen, the child probably died and was eaten by dogs or vultures. You think your dad was mean. Now, just so you know, this idea of letting children born alive die on the table is currently being debated and discussed by our federal government as to whether that's moral or not. And I hope that you're aware of that, whether children who survive abortions are provided medical care or whether they are left to fend for themselves just being a few minutes old. I hope that you're aware that that's being discussed uh, by our federal government currently. To me, that sounds strikingly the same as ancient Greece and how they handled newborn children. So, why does Paul single out fathers? Well, I think in this culture he had to. The fathers were the ones that decided, live or die. And I think Paul's saying, listen, in the Christian community, dads, you need to take responsibility. And I think there's also an implication that the mothers knew a little better and the mothers were a little more involved in how to raise the kids. Because if dad went off to do a job, he might be gone for months. If dad was in the military, he might be gone for years. There was no flying home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. There was no letters home. Well, there might have been letters, but they would take months to arrive. There was no Skyping or video calling. So <coughs> dad might be gone for years, and you don't even know if dad died, except he never showed up. He never came back. 
So Paul gives this command specifically to fathers. In a moment, I am going to broaden it out to fathers and mothers. But he says this, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first time I read this, I was not paying attention. And I thought that it said, Children, do not provoke your fathers to anger. Because that makes way more sense to me. And I was about to quote it to the kids, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is for me. Did you know that it's possible, fathers, to be so domineering that you provoke anger from your kids? In fact, so let's go to Colossians 3, because I think this sheds a little more light. (coughs) Fathers, did you know that it's possible to so exasperate or frustrate or overwhelm your kids with your heavy-handedness, that they lose heart. And that phrase, lose heart, in the Greek means it breaks their spirits. Just to the point where they're just kind of like slumped over, you know, no courage, no confidence, no boldness, just like you've beat them like a dog. You've broken their spirit. And Paul says the same thing in Ephesians as he says in Colossians. Fathers, do not be unnecessarily harsh. Do not be domineering. Do not exasperate your children. Here are some examples of how we exasperate our kids. Using the phrase, because I said so. Listen, I'm, real, I'm realistic to, enough to know, you can use that sometimes. But you only get so many, because I said so's. If you want to actually teach your children how to think you should be prepared to answer as many of the why questions as possible. And I understand you're not going to be able to answer all of the why questions. But if they want to know, well, why can't I have a Snickers for breakfast? Because I said so. But why? Maybe explain to them how that's going to impact their health. Right? Why can't I stay up till midnight? Explain to them how that's not going to Help them get good grades in school. Because when you explain, when you answer the why questions, you're teaching them how to think. You know what? You're teaching them wisdom. Because, listen, I think many of us have this over-romanticized view of how obedient we were as kids. When my parents said, do something, I did it. No, you didn't. (laughs) If you ever heard, because I said so, that means you were argumentative, right? If they ever said it to you, that means you were that little snot-nosed kid that said, why? (laughs) Right? So, And it didn't work for you. It didn't satisfy you. So, (coughs) listen, I'm not saying you can never say, because I said so, I, I would never give up my right to say that. But understand that you can't just use that as a blanket. If you can answer the why questions, answer those questions. Another way we can exasperate our kids and break their spirit is by overreacting. They drop a cup of juice, you act like they dropped a nuclear bomb. Understanding kids are kids. Your your expectations of them should be appropriate. They're not going to behave like adults, so don't overreact. Another way we exasperate our kids is by using exclusively negative reinforcement. Everything is a punishment. 
or a discipline, and there's never a reward or encouragement. There is, there are times, it's in the Bible, there are times for negative reinforcement, there are times for a harsh word, there are times for punishment, but there are also times for encouragement. There are also times for reward. And so your parenting style needs to incorporate some positive reinforcement so that you don't exasperate your kids and break their spirit. (coughs) Here's another way we exasperate our kids. Punishments that don't fit the crime. Um, Friday, my kids had a half a day of school, so I took them to Chick-fil-A for lunch because what else would I do? We went there and Aiden spilled Josiah's little bowl of Cheerios. Aiden spilled it on the ground everywhere underneath our table. And I was about to go into the Thunderdome with Aiden. I was ripping the sleeves off of my shirt. And I was, I mean, I had smeared blood under my eyes. (laughs) And you know, then this is the worst part of being a pastor. As I'm about to do that, this verse came to mind. Because I had just finished preparing the sermon, fathers do not exasperate your kids. And I was like, oh, I just want to shed some blood and loosen some teeth right now. So, you know, and this all happens like in a split second in your head. I thought, okay, what's the punishment that fits the crime? It's not extinguish the child. <laughs> The punishment that fits the crime is, now you have to pick those up. I'm not going to raise my voice. I'm not going to take away video games. I'm not going to send you to your room unless you, you know, rebel. But if all you, immediately he said sorry, he took responsibility, he picked it up. Crisis averted. I I don't have to pay for a therapy session for him. (laughs) We're good, right? So, uh... (coughs) Punishments that fit the crime and not overreacting. So, uh, final thing that Paul says <coughs> I think is so important. And this, that we're going to broaden this out to all parents here. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is your re, uh, responsibility to dis, uh, disciple your kids. Our church comes along and we supplement that with children's programs and children's church. And we have great volunteers and great staff and great leaders for our children's church. But, you know, did you know our children's church gets your kids for about 40 minutes a week? You have them 168 hours. And so primarily the discipleship responsibility falls on you, parents. And you're not just raising your kids, you're discipling them. And if we as Christian parents, those of us that are Christian parents, can do a good job discipling our kids, the, the, whole, the next generation of the church will be so strong. You know? I mean, imagine if the next generation of pastors and church leaders doesn't have to undo all the bad parenting, but they get to build on the good parenting. The parenting that was led by the Holy Spirit, formed in Scripture, modeling Jesus. And so, I mean, I'm excited for the potential of that. I hope that we get there. I'm not going to take that for granted. But if we as parents disciple our children and teach them what it's like to live like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit under the authority of Scripture, ooh, I can't imagine how that would transform the world. But it primarily is the parents' 
responsibility. So let me ask this. I'm going to pause for a moment. I am not done. I'm going to pause. Are there any parents here that hear this and you're like, I need the Holy Spirit to help me? You can raise your hand. Okay. Because I want to pray for you. If you have kids and you're very aware that you need... See, this is why the Holy Spirit was given. Not so that you could sing louder at church. So you could raise your kids. You know? So I want to pray for you real quick. Those of you that raise your hands, I'm not done. You're not dismissed after this. But I want to pause and pray. Jesus, you gave us the Holy Spirit as a comforter to teach, to instruct, to guide, to empower both holiness and service. So Jesus, we cry out to you, those of us, those parents that are desperate for help, we need your help. Would you fill us with your spirit and empower us to parent our kids and to disciple them? And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Last thing I want to say, and we're going to, we're actually, our kids are coming up. I can hear them right now. We're going to pray for the kids before we send everybody home. Last thing I want to say, in order for us to make disciples that sustain revival, we're going to have to figure out how to trans, make generational transfers. How do we go from one generation to the next generation? Because a lot of times it, it, things are fumbled there. So one of the ways that we do that is for the older generation to learn how to impart and for the younger generation to learn how to inherit. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, those of you, I'm going to say older generation, 40 and up, because I'm only 38, so I'm just going to... 40 and up, older generation, you need to be thinking about how you're going to impart your walk with God to the next generation. Here are some of the ways you do that. Bring them in to your thought processes. Show them, well, I thought this, and then I thought this, but then I read this passage, and this is the conclusion. Show them the process, not just the finished product, okay? Here's how it came. Share your testimony with them. Your kids should know how you came to faith. I mean, they, they don't need to know, like, all the gory details. You might need to make it a G-rated version, possibly, but they should know, like, what was impactful in your conversion to Christ, and what passages and what songs and what parts of your story are meaningful? What places? Take them to the place where you gave your life to the Lord. Or take them to the church where you got saved in. Or, you know what I mean? Like, take them to those places. Show them the Bible. Show, you know, whatever you have that you can show them. That kind of stuff. So that's, trust them in leadership. Take a risk on them. So that's one of the way that, ways that we impart. For the younger generation to inherit, I wish I could say more about this. I'm just going to leave it at this. You have to value and honor those that went before you. When you inherit something, you are saying, I did not earn this, but I'm responsible now to steward this. I'll give you a non-parenting example. This building we're sitting in, we did not build, we did not buy. We inherited it. Is it perfect? Nope. But we still honor those that 90 years ago had the foresight to put a building here, a church building here in this neighborhood. We receive it, and now we steward it. So that goes for parenting. Those, these younger kids, and they're getting taught this, how to inherit. How do I value the blood, the sweat, and the tears of the generation that was before me? Rather than, 
when I'm in control, I'm going to tear down everything they did, and I'm going to do it my way. And then halfway through the rebuilding process, you realize, oh, I'm just rebuilding what they left me. Know what I mean? You don't have to learn everything the hard way. Those of you that are inheriting from your parents, and I don't mean a money, although that might be it, you don't have to learn everything the hard way. You can learn from other people's experiences. That's wisdom. All right, I'm going to bring these kids out. Come on out, kids. We're going to pray for these little ones. All right, so kids, um, I like this kneeling thing you're doing. Why don't we do this? You guys mind sitting on the floor? Crisscross applesauce? Okay. If, so hypothetically, every kid here should have an adult guardian in this building. Okay. I know that's not always the case. <laughs> but if none of you dropped your kids off and went out for lunch, I'm assuming everybody here has an adult with them, okay? If you would like adults, parents, guardians, if you would like to come up and lay hands on your kid, not someone else's, you're welcome. That would be weird. <coughs> you are welcome to come up and do that. If you would like to come and join us up front, we're just going to lay hands on them and pray for them. If you want to stay in your seats, I'm going to invite you to extend your hand and bless your kids. So if you want to come up and find your kid, you're welcome to do that. We're just going to lay hands on them. We're all going to pray at once. We're not going to take turns. We're just going to pray over each other. So it's okay if you're talking over your neighbor. So we're going to bless our kids and... Uh, ask for God's protection. Hey, kids, do you guys have any idea why we're doing this? Nope. Yeah, I, shouldn't, I should have explained this. We studied a passage from the Bible today about how kids should obey their parents and how parents should train and disciple and love their kids. So one of the ways that we're responding to that is by praying for you, okay? Okay, I guess that means you got it. All right. So let's take a few moments, let's pray for these uh, kids, pray for protection, pray that they come to know Jesus at a young age, discover their calling, know their identity, all that good stuff that the Holy Spirit gives you to pray. We'll just take about two minutes on this and then I'll dismiss you. Lord, we bless these kids that you've given us. Your word says that they are a gift and a reward, arrows in our quivers. We bless them, we pray for your protection over them, Lord, that uh, none of them would ever have a hand placed on them uh, in a way that is inappropriate. That they would not stumble into inappropriate content, that you would protect their eyes, protect their hearts, protect their bodies. I pray that they would come to love you at a very young age. And Lord, we reject the lie that every kid has a rebellious season. That is not in your word. It doesn't need to be the case. We pray that these kids would grow from glory to glory. As every parent wants their kid to do better than them, we want our kids to go further than us in the spirit to encounter you in ways we couldn't have dreamed to lead in renewal and revival in ways we never could have thought. We pray that for our kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com